You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. Of course, it's not really day, it's almost night here. Gosh, I wouldn't wish they wouldn't change the time from summer. You know, I, it, I would rather get up and go to work in the dark than come home in the dark. So, yeah, I, I just, just editorial comment on time zone changes uh, that we have to go through every fall and spring. But, uh, Enough of that. You're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene, Oregon today as I do my radio show from my office because I'm just coming out of the Homes for Good Housing Authority uh, board meeting, uh, and they're back-to-back with the radio show, so I don't get time to travel back to beautiful downtown Elmira, and this is a show that you get to control the topic on if you just Give us a call here at the Bo's Nose Show at 646-721-9887, and just press 1 if you uh, want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. If you press 1, that, that's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire. No, you want to get in on the conversation. So lots of things going on here in Lane County over the last week or so, and uh, probably the one that, that at least has made – the news lately is the commissioner's unanimous decision to approve hours of operation for our, what is known as the butterfly parking lot. that sits at the uh, um, Northwest corner of uh, 8th Avenue and Oak street here in Eugene. And it kind of sits across the street from our County courthouse and the uh, public um, service building for the county, and it also sits across the street from the park blocks that the city of Eugene owns. Now, the park blocks have an hours of operation in existence uh, already that closes them at 11 at, at night and reopens them at 6 in the morning, and our um, free speech plaza that is uh, on our county courthouse property also has hours of operation similar to that. Our butterfly parking lot there did not have hours of operation designated for it. And that was where we had some difficulty in controlling the uh, illegal camping that went on on that site. So the board chose to approve hours of operations for that site to make it a little bit easier to manage the site uh, in light of some of the issues that came up with that illegal camping, including somebody that set fire to their um their campsite at one point where the fire department had to come and put it out. Um, so, you know, it, there was some life health and life safety issues coming up on that camping and hopefully this will allow us to have a little bit more control there. And it was interesting to see um, commissioner Pete Sorensen 
actually took the lead um, as that as the item came before the board and uh, went through a series of questions with legal counsel, uh, just confirming that this does not in any way suppress free speech rights um, for folks that want to protest uh, and and redress their their local government because the the hours of operation is a content neutral time, place, and manner limitation on free speech, which is something local governments are allowed to, to place as long as it's content neutral. And he walked us through that conversation first, um, just to make that clear. And he did vote in support of the hours of operation, which the press has been referring to as a curfew. And I don't really think of it as a curfew. It's really just when, when is that lot open to the public and when is it closed to the public? And actually, if somebody wanted to apply for a special permit where they wanted to use that lot past 11 at night, we might approve one. Um, so it's not even a firm, you know, always closed at that time. It just means that unless there's some special arrangement at 11 o'clock, you're not supposed to be on that property, which, you know, kind of prevents a lot of other problems, too, like uh, folks, you know, breaking into cars that are left there overnight um, or uh, vandalism, et cetera, that happens, you know, in those hours between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. So that was probably the news. The item that caught the news yesterday was, you know, our, quote, curfew um, that, that as the press like to address it or as I like to call it, hours of operation for that butterfly lot. And uh, it was basically just to provide a tool for us to better manage this, what we call the public square, which is the uh, four corners that come together there at the intersection of 8th and Oak Street here in downtown Eugene. So, which kind of brought up the whole conversation of homelessness and, and just everything we're trying to do uh, for the folks um, that were at that camp and that we, we, managed to find a piece of property that we had foreclosed upon out on Highway 99 that happened to be across the street from the Lindholm Center run by St. Vincent de Paul that provides um, day um, services for homeless folks, including two hot meals, showers, laundry facilities, and uh, some other services uh, there, as well as the camp that, that the county and the city are now both involved in providing is uh, also got, uh, you know, bathroom facilities and you know, the portable toilets. It also has hand wash stations. We've managed to set up um, hot and cold running water and a, a, a laundry sink there and um, even have provided some um, charging stations um, for cell phones, et cetera, because, uh, you know, that's something that's just needed there. And we're trying to see if we can even – get a charging station capable of recharging a wheelchair um, because there's actually somebody in the camp that uses a motorized wheelchair. So, um, you know, we've really set up a much better situation out on Highway 99 where there's a lot more service availability. There's, there's actually um, uh, health facilities there in the way of, of you know, sanitation and um, clean drinking water, which weren't at the uh, other site but it's still not permanent housing. 
and it's not even considered temporary shelter by uh, the federal government in their surveys. You know, we do this point in time survey once a year in January of all the homelessness in, in uh, the homeless in Lane County and having somebody in a tent camp is not considered shelter by the, the federal government. They have to be in, in a, in a, um, a building. Yeah, even if it's a um, emergency shelter, that's considered sheltered. But having them out in a tent is considered unsheltered by the federal government. So as we do our point in time count and they talk about homeless people, there's a total homeless population. And they'll talk about the percentage of that that's unsheltered. And in Lane County, the unsheltered is quite high in comparison to the total count because we don't have a lot of emergency shelter beds other than the Eugene mission. Uh, and that's where we get in conflict with what the Ninth Circuit Court decided in their Boise decision is the Eugene mission is a religious institution and there's a religious aspect to their shelter. And the uh, Ninth Circuit Court found that uh, arresting people for illegally camping, if you don't have a um, non-religious emergency shelter bed available for them, arresting them and placing them into jail is cruel and unusual punishment because there's no alternative for those folks that are out on the street. Um, and that was what their court decision was based on. So as we look at Lane County, we have that similar issue where we, have, we haven't given a, a legal alternative for those folks. The Highway 99 camp has provided some of that alternative but it's nowhere near uh, large enough to house all the unsheltered in Lane County as there's approximately a thousand people at any one time unsheltered in Lane County. And that camp's only holding about a hundred people. So that's um, definitely uh, not a permanent solution to homelessness in Lane County, but we are working on many many solutions uh, as we we work on our new uh, facility, Housing First facility out there across from Autzen Stadium, which has a name now. They've gone through a naming committee and, and picked a name for it, and it's called the Commons on MLK. I've always referred to it as the building across the street from Autzen, but it's now the Commons on MLK, and that project's been slowly moving forward uh, there's actually architecture work being done, and um, what's interesting is through the architecture, they've actually been able to sneak another unit into it. It was originally going to be for 50 units, and just because of the way the spacing worked out when you got into detailed architecture, they're getting 51 units out of the building for virtually the same cost as the 50-unit building, so we're getting almost a free um, unit of housing there. And when you think about most studies show um, unhoused people cost communities about $80,000 a year in um, everything from emergency room visits to um, jail bookends to police response to um, various other services that are required, usually mostly emergency services. Whereas we can put somebody into this um, housing first situation for for about at the operational cost about fourteen to fifteen thousand a year, so a real significant savings to to um, 
society if we can get folks inside. And once we get them inside, then we can start working on some of the issues to why they were outside in the first place. So uh, adding those 51 units will be a, a step in the right direction. We need to continue to add more uh, around here, but we need to think about also just in general making housing less expensive across the board in Lane County. And uh, as we look at that, that kind of brings me to a, another issue that was before the board that didn't make any headlines because it's really detailed, complex, legal mumbo jumbo to a lot of people. And that's land use code uh, chapter 16 that we were getting, that we were working on amending here in Lane County. And uh, it kind of gets, if, if anyone wants to, uh, have the thrill of uh, maybe a root canal or something like that. They could watch yesterday's afternoon board meeting where all we did was talk land use for about almost three hours. <laughs> it, it It's not fun. It's detailed legalistic work um, in trying to, to update our code to make it easier and simpler to use. But at the same time, trying to make sure that code does not make it any harder to build housing. And part of what was taking so long yesterday on the chapter 16 amendments was I was trying to prevent our code from becoming more restrictive than the existing code as we update it. And that, that was, if you watch that meeting, that was a lot of the back and forth between myself and staff and the, the very detailed motion that was made to um, change and delete some of the sections proposed in the code was to roll back to language um, that matches our current code rather than the proposed language that was going to be more restrictive on things like um, forest template dwellings and guest houses, um, you know, for, um, uh, you know, employees on farms or um, guest houses in general. Um, it was, yeah, I, a difficult conversation probably for the layperson to follow, but a very important piece of what commissioners do because we do adopt code through ordinance that deals with how you develop land and build houses here in Lane County. And, you know, the, the big fight yesterday was about not making anything more restrictive. And as we looked at that, um, Yesterday with chapter 16, we actually adopted the updated code for chapter 13 yesterday after we rolled something back <laughs> in that code also about legal lot verifications, um, which is also about getting buildable legal lots verified out in rural Lane County. Uh, you know, all housing helps the housing crunch. You know, so the more housing that's built, the less housing will cost. So any way we can make that freed up, no matter you know where it's located, we, we need to be trying to work on those sort of fixes. So you know we were amending the proposal for Chapter 16, haven't quite gotten over the finish line with that. We approved Chapter 13 uh, code amendments, and then we even had a, a little um, uh, beginning at the end on the Cory uh, proposal up there in Oak Ridge uh, on TV Butte as we were remanded that decision from the state and trying to deal with the remand there. Although there may be some procedural issues that may delay approval of that, um, but we have to do that in accordance with state um, statutes and laws as we review that. 
and uh, the remand, we can only look at the issues that were remanded um, to us, which were three specific issues. So um, interesting afternoon yesterday spent on land use. Uh, again, if you want to uh, you know, experience watching paint dry, grass grow, or getting a root canal all in one, watch yesterday afternoon's um, Board of Commissioners meeting, and it's basically land use for three hours and uh, probably one of the least fun meetings you'll ever watch. I want to jump back a little bit you know, to that whole issue of the hours of operation. I was shocked, and I mean truly shocked, and we had actually cleared out some of our agenda on, in the morning because we thought we were going to get a lot of people coming to testify either in public comment or the public hearing for that um, that ordinance for the butterfly lot hours of operation. And we had nobody come to the Board of Commissioners meeting for that. No no public comment on the on the public hearing. Did receive a few emails, but not even that many of those. So I was just really surprised that that didn't generate more public comment because when we did the same thing for the um, free speech plaza, it generated quite a bit of con controversy and comment uh, and hours of testimony. So a little bit of a surprise there. You just kind of never know when something's going to generate a lot of public comment. Um, we also, at the same time yesterday morning, we did approve a lease to uh, Wright Lumber uh, company for um, the Dexter mill site um, that had previously kind of gone downhill. You know, the, the mill had closed and it had been sold over to somebody that kind of let it um, become almost an abandoned property uh, as they let the taxes fall behind. And we eventually foreclosed on the property for non-payment of taxes, the county did. Um, but in all that time, there was a lot of illegal camping on the site, a lot of illegal activities that neighbors complained about, multiple, multiple um, sheriffs and fire department call-outs to the site, and uh, this lease to the right lumber folks is going to allow them to um, bring the site up to standards as far as the access bridge and electrical service goes. It gives them enough room in, in the purchase price to pay for those improvements. And uh, we'll bring in an employer with um, 35 jobs out to that site and um, really, you know, change that from a non-productive trouble spot to a place that's going to be paying taxes and employing people and hopefully not causing much trouble uh, in the future. So that was, you know, a real bright spot yesterday uh, in yesterday's board meeting was being able to deal with that Dexter Mill site and, and kind of get to the, the finish line of getting right bumper situated out there. Still some final environmental assessment work that has to happen to um, so he can get his financing, but uh, we're, that should be wrapping up relatively soon. So that kind of wraps up the board meeting uh, last week. Uh, Next week, we've got some interesting stuff coming. Uh, we are going to be starting a conversation next week around uh, permitting of uh, the campgrounds uh, for the country fair and, and similar campgrounds, temporary campgrounds, and, and smaller than what we would call mass gatherings uh, in Lane County. And we're going to be looking at a proposed ordinance, at least the first reading of it next week, 
We'll actually have the public hearing of that on the 18th of December. Um, but that conversation is going to begin, and that kind of comes out of some of the situ some of the complaints that came up this last several years, um, not just one year, but multiple years about um, traffic noise and other issues, um, behavior issues that were generated out of those campsites around the country fairs. They kind of converted themselves from just being a place for people to camp and then go to the fair during the day to becoming a festival on their own. And that's part of you know what we're hoping to get a little bit more of a handle on is having a little bit more um, review of those campsites and a little bit more control maybe of um, how they're permitted and also requiring those permits to be renewed on an annual basis. So um, it should be an interesting conversation as we try and deal with just kind of one of those um, unintended impacts of the country fair. It's not the country fair that, that's you know, generating some of the complaints. It's actually the off-site campgrounds. So this, this is a, a new piece of ordinance that's going to require a different permit for the campgrounds um, than they have received in the past. So that conversation starts next week at the Board of Commissioners meeting and uh, more, more to come you know, as we look, look ahead um, into uh, that whole issue of you know, how do we deal with the country fair. And really looking forward to next year's country fair as it will be the 50th anniversary. So we're expecting a much larger than normal country fair out in beautiful downtown Elmira. So uh, that's what's going on at the county level, you know, as we, we look uh, to the future. Also coming up on the 18th, we are going to get our big reveal of the courthouse study that's been going on this fall where they brought a set of architects in to do some more detailed uh, preliminary architectural work what they call building massing uh, and looking at relationships between departments etc and what shape the building will take how many floors will it be narrowing you know trying to narrow down you know on square footages etc and uh, site specific um, to the, the old city hall lot, how much will that building cost? And getting a much better estimate involved. So the big reveal will be on December 18th for the courthouse project, which is a much needed project here in Lane County. And we've got an opportunity, if we can move ahead with it um, this, this spring, look at a way to finance it, to get state matching funds uh, on this project and, and kind of basically leverage uh, local taxpayer funds uh, on almost a one-to-one -one basis as the state will match up to 50% of the courthouse qualifying portions of the courthouse um, that, that you know, are involved in the court operations or other state offices uh, co-located in the building. And it looks like we're going to be able to co-locate some state offices and also, we should be able to um, leverage almost $100 million in state financing towards that courthouse project. Uh, so really should be an interesting meeting on December 18th as we'll have that public hearing for um, the uh, less than the, the smaller gatherings or the, the smaller longer term gatherings that, like the campgrounds at the country fair. And we'll also be getting a 
long and, and much awaited um, report on the courthouse, as well as the first uh, reveal publicly of how much, you know, experts feel that that courthouse is actually going to cost. And um, looking forward to that, that report as we look forward to the, the need to replace that courthouse. And, and you know, folks uh, don't understand our courthouse was built in 1950. Six or seven, I think, uh, opened up in, in the uh, late 50s. And at that time, courts were different. You know, they didn't, you know, we didn't have quite the, the amount of, of um, cases per um, thousand people that we have now. There was less uh, legal cases that ended up in the, in the district court system, as well as, you know, our population was a whole lot smaller. And that, that facility worked fine. And there was a lot of other offices that were co-located. And eventually the courts have actually outgrown that building to where we actually house part of the court um, functions in our, our public service building here in Lane County that are outside that court building. And that court building was also built before we actually understood um, the Cascadia subduction zone earthquake uh, and the possibility of, and what the actual earthquake risk was here in Eugene. So it's seismically underbuilt uh, and would not survive, um, you know, it would not survive functionally uh, uh, the, the Cascadia subduction zone earthquake here in, in Lane County. And, um, that's just one of the problems, but the other problem was it was, you know, built at a time where, you know, you didn't have to have a metal detector outside your courthouse. You didn't have to worry about some of the issues that they worry about with courts nowadays and, and some of the, the violence and everything and the security issues. And there's some real security problems with the way that current courthouse is designed, including the fact that they have to walk, cost uh, the, public lobby to get from the, the the elevator that they bring the inmates up on, you know, the accused uh, up on is on one side of the lobby and the, their courthouse is on the other. So they have to walk these guys in shackles basically across the lobby where there may be witnesses, jurors, um, victims, victims, family members, everything out in that lobby seeing those guys so you, know, you could you know you could prejudice a jury member you could you know offer the opportunity for uh, a family member of, a, of, a, of the victim to take retribution to allow the you know the the physical intimidation of a witness just through eye contact um, you know there's, there's all sorts of problems with that that you just don't really want in a courthouse you really don't want to mix the accused with the public in any way. And uh, unfortunately, our current courthouse, does, we can't avoid it because it was designed before they worried about things like that. So uh, besides the fact that we need more courtrooms, we're actually limited um, and people are having to wait to uh, get justice here in Lane County because of the scheduling problems we have with court facilities. So, um, you know, a new courthouse will allow for better access. Not, don't even get me started on the 
ADA access issues with our court facilities. It is very difficult for us to have a juror that is not able-bodied. Uh, you know, our jury boxes have steps up into them. So if we have a wheelchair-bound juror, we can't get them into the jury box. They have to sit alone on the floor. Um, our jury rooms have bathrooms off of them that have doorways that are probably 20 inches wide, and, and that is not wheelchair accessible, not to mention they're tiny. Um, and the, the, it just everything about our, our court system is not wheelchair accessible <laughs> in multiple ways. Uh, so it just the, the, the courthouse is out of date too small, insecure, you know, all sorts of issues. We truly need to, to get a new courthouse here in Lane County. So folks have access to timely, available, accessible justice here in Lane County. Because really right now we're having to, you know, delay access to justice because of lack of facilities. It's not truly accessible to all at sometimes. And there's security issues, you know, so you really, and, and it's not, it's not a very friendly building either, you know, just pedestrian access wise and everything else is just really a difficult building to access. So there's a lot of things that, that could be improved in a new building um, that would make it much more accessible mm -hmm. for everyone to attain justice. And, you know, folks kind of always think of courts about the criminal proceedings there, but there's multiple other issues that get resolved in that court building from landlord tenant issues to um, uh, everything from divorces and child custody, uh, you, you name it, you know, family law, um, contract disputes, resolutions, um, you know, so there's, you know, business law, there's multiple things happen in that building. And you know, you really want to have a well-functioning building because usually when somebody's entering that courthouse, they're usually kind of on a higher key level, you know, where, you know, they're not there because they want to be there usually. <laughs> so we really need a building that's a little bit, that doesn't add to that stress. And right now our current building is definitely adding to the stress of appearing in court or, um, you know, serving on a jury, um, having to defend yourself, everything about it just is, is, not well designed and not modern. So be, stay tuned. On the 18th, we're going to be talking about courthouses. I want to pause for a moment, and just remind folks that you can control the subject here on the Bose Nose Show. Just give me a call to Jay here. I am your West Lane County Commissioner, and uh, you can reach us at 646 721 9887. Just press one, let you Get in on the conversation here. Let's Robin know that you want to get in. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And uh, just press one. And, you know, it's kind of um, not really funny, but sort of uh, interesting. Uh, over the, the the holiday weekend, I'm, you know, Facebook friends with uh, soon-to-be Labor Secretary Val Hoyle, uh, former representative, um, Val and I get along really well, even though we're from opposite sides of the aisle. And uh, she you know, had a post there you know, that showed uh, 
her vehicle after they'd had an accident on Highway 126. Um, apparently their power went out with the wind storm that came through here uh, Thanksgiving and um, she jumped in the car to try and go buy some candles having just moved into her new house. You know how it is to try and find things sometimes after a move. Um, and uh, somebody uh, went around a curve too fast, um, lost control, ended up in her lane. Fortunately for airbags and all that stuff, no major injuries, but she's dealing with the bumps and bruises. But it's just one more incident of how dangerous Highway 126 is. This was Highway 126 east of Springfield. Um, but, you know, we all know, and that we've talked about on the Bose Nose Show, Highway 126 west of Eugene out to the coast and how dangerous that road is. And just, you know, hopefully it gets one more state official focused on a state highway that could really use some safety improvements. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I, we're getting some. Uh, we, we have some nice, smooth pavement now between uh, Eugene and Benita uh, after last summer's repaving. And we also have some centerline rumble strips now that weren't there before. So hopefully that'll, that'll prevent some of the uh, crossover accidents. What's really needed is eventually to get that um, highway built for lanes between Eugene and Benita so that, that we can have the ability to put a centerline divider in prevent crossover accidents and also to redirect people away from those crossovers. Um, those Jersey barriers are designed to, to try and, you know, move people back into their lane um, and prevent those, those uh, head-on collisions. But, you know, that's, as we look at the change in the, the majority of the U.S. House of Representatives, one of the things that looks like it's probably going to be able to get through is the uh, Democrat caucus there and, and including uh, Representative DeFazio, who will probably become the chair of the infrastructure committee there at, in the House, um, that an infrastructure bill may get through because it's something that, that President Trump wants to get through so that we're going to have a House wants infrastructure, and we're going to have a president wants infrastructure. So we may see an infrastructure bill. I'm hoping that maybe in that bill we can get some federal funds to expand Highway 126 between uh, Eugene and Benita and get that 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 portion at least a little bit more safe as we you know try to deal with some some spot safety improvements over the years with what funding we can scratch up from the state legislature. But I think that one's going to take some federal funding because the fix there is going to be a couple hundred million as we have to widen that causeway across Fern Ridge Reservoir. So just want to remind folks again, it's 646-721-9887 to get in on the Bose Nose Show. Just press one because that lets Robin know we want to get on the conversation. And uh, kind of... I don't have a what were they thinking this week. I know last week I got to really, you know, beat on the city of Eugene hard about what were they thinking about 15 to 20 years ago when they decided to eliminate the bridge over the Willamette River that was supposed to go in somewhere about the Valley River Center area over to uh, the River Road area. Uh, the elimination of that bridge has led to the fact that 
the Washington Jefferson Bridge has now just got no way to bypass it other than the Ferry Street Bridge. So as that work is being done on Washington Jefferson Bridge, it's causing horrible traffic jams on the Ferry Street Bridge. And I really didn't have a good, what were they thinking um, this week? So I kind of was wondering, Robin, you don't have one up your sleeve, do you? Uh, I do have, I got a little news item, if I can go ahead and launch my intro. Okay. All right. According to the Richard Guard newspaper in Eugene, the University of Oregon, the one of the number one hater of vehicles, is planning on putting a three to five level cars parking um, look spot in their uh, campus area. Ah, uh, yes, actually, that's going to be in the new Knight um, campus uh, for accelerating the. I forget what the exact name is, but something about science, but basically the applied science campus where it's going to accelerate the implementation of, of some of the discoveries of you know, the research into actual uh, our lives a little faster. Um, and uh, yeah, that's going to be the parking there because that was always one of the questions is you're going to bring another three to 500 jobs into that night campus. Where do they park? <laughs> and they're talking about a 400 um, space parking garage there. So I'm actually kind of excited about that because I was a little bit concerned myself. Uh, if you've ever tried to find a space on the street anywhere near the University of Oregon, it's nearly impossible. Absolutely. And they enjoy that too because they make, I forget what the dollar amount was from a report I saw several years ago, um, huge income off parking fines. Yeah, yeah. On campus. <clears throat> on campus. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, when I saw that, it's like, huh? <laughs> but then again, uh, from, what I, from what I understand, the University of Oregon is switching from being an arts and crafts or arts and letters or whatever you, they used to call a university to more of a uh, science university. Yeah, they'll still have a pretty... Um, heavy humanities side, I think, because um, they're, they're still the, the journalism school. They're still the edu- education school. Um, they still have a, a strong arts and music department. Um, so I think you'll still see that side of them. But, yeah, they are focusing some of their science programs. And they've had some good science programs throughout the years. They just don't quite get the press. Their football team does. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think what helped is that Mozilla, the uh, people from Firefox, uh, designated uh, Eugene the gigabit city and also is working with the University of Oregon to kind of help make that happen. Yeah, yeah. And and it should be, you know, I really am looking forward to that campus opening here because that could be a huge accelerator of not just science, but of, of employment here. As the companies spin out of that 
campus and maybe, you know, they're going to be people that were living here locally start spinning out. They're probably going to keep the company local for a while at least. So there could be quite an economic impact to that, um, having that campus here, you know, and, and that, and as you think about, we got the night science campus there on Franklin Boulevard. We've got some new student housing along front, you know, a little bit further um, to the West on Franklin Boulevard. Then as you get into downtown, you know, as, as Franklin Boulevard becomes 6th and 7th, on the right side, you know, as, as you hit 6th Avenue there, on the right side, we're going to have the expansion of the market district um, that that the OB um, family is putting in. And, you know, a little bit off of 6th Street there, as you go towards the river, there's the redevelopment of the EWEB uh, campus that's going to be happening. Uh, uh, was it Dames and... and and, and Williams, I think, is the name of the company that's doing that for the city. And then um, we'll have our courthouse probably redevelop where the old city hall lot is. And just, you know, there's going to be this change as you come in to Eugene, if you get off, you know, the Franklin Boulevard exit coming up from the, from the south and come into Eugene, it, there's going to be a pretty dynamic change, you know, yeah. where... It's going to going to really have some some great impact, and I think you know it's going to generate um, a little bit more life to downtown because as as the OB facility includes a, a high rise apartment building, um, more people living downtown, more hotel rooms, so there'll be people walking around at night more in a in a in more of a nightlife um, aspect, a lot more jobs downtown, so it could be really exciting. Well, and to be honest, one of the reasons why I've never pursued any employment at DLO is is for parking. But you know what what's going to happen one of these days that you're going to uh, drive in from wherever and you're going to say see a big sign that says "Welcome to the University of Oregon" and in very very small letters, oh yeah, in the city of Eugene. <laughs> in the city of Eugene, yeah. Yeah, that may happen one day, but uh, it's probably not going to happen too soon. There's still a lot. I mean, University of Oregon is a huge employer in Eugene and Lane County, but it's not necessarily the only employer and doesn't employ the entire workforce. You know, there's lots of other employers out there that are that are pretty pretty large, from uh, Peace Health to um, you know, you know, as you just look around from you know. The, the Seneca Jones sawmills and lumber facilities across the county to, um, you know, you even look at uh, Johnson Crushers to so much more than just the University of Oregon here. And, and we're starting to see, you know, a tech economy grow here as we, you know, we look at trying to grow that segment. We're becoming known as the Silicon Shire and that whole gigabit um community that we have uh they're talking about you know that's that's you know the there is a area of downtown that's now being served with fiber optics and a couple buildings that have had fiber optics run in where you can you know business can get you know gig speeds uh of internet service yes you two can get on facebook at lightning speeds yeah well you know for some of these folks where you're doing um you know, accessing databases in real time, 
and in particularly when it's a geographical interface with a database, which is, you know, speaking of, um, of you know, some of the, uh, the gig economy here, there's a company called Moonshadow um, that has some, some great uh, software where you can access um, a lot of database-style information in a geographic interface. Um, uh-huh. So you can just kind of draw a circle around a map, and you can get, you know, in, in one particular um, uh, software they have, which is meant for um, uh, uh, political campaigns, you can actually get the voter databases of all the houses, you know, registration, names, uh, you know, political party affiliations, et cetera, um, for everyone inside that circle. If you were a, a candidate that wanted to go walk that neighborhood, yeah, I thought we were anonymous when we uh, when we did that. Or is that just voting? I'm thinking of your voting's anonymous. The actual voter databases are um, available uh, to folks. Uh, they can't use them for commercial purposes. They have to be used for campaign and election purposes. So they can't take that voter database and sell it to a, um, you know, online retailer to, to send you advertising uh, catalogs or something like that. Um, it has to be related to a campaign and campaign activities. So there are restrictions on how the, those databases get used, but they are uh, publicly, a publicly available public record. Okay, interesting. But when you when you get a copy of them, you sign a, a release form that says you understand you're not supposed to use this for commercial purposes. And don't cross your fingers when you're signing it. Yeah, yeah, because there is a heavy fine for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that's kind of going on Salem. Always good for a laugh. I guess they they're the latest in uh, banning plastic bags. Yeah, yeah, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's funny, and I, I was in Bymart and Vanita um, the other day, and, and the guy, you know, I was only getting a couple things I probably could have carried out in my hands, and he said, you know, you want a bag for this? And I said, yeah, I guess I do. And he, he was like, paper or plastic? And I was like, plastic. <laughs> yeah. I need to be able to clean my cat box. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting, and it kind of makes you wonder about news biases and stuff. I'm reading an article from the, well, I think Oregon Life is still the Oregonian. Yeah, it is. And a lot of the comments that are that are made there are, yeah, let's get rid of the plastic bags. And uh, I don't know, I find that kind of surprising because, uh, you know, we had to get rid of paper bags because of the trees. And we went to the plastic bags, but, you know, the plastic bags jam up the recycling machines. But I still wonder, though. Who gets that nickel that we have to pay for the, the paper bags? Oh, the grocery store does. And the grocery store, which could offer it as a courtesy, like they do the plastic bags, are forcing people. They're not allowed to anymore. Yeah. In, in At least in Eugene, they cannot give you a bag for free. They have to charge you for it. Yeah. Because they really, what they're trying to do is socially engineer you using the reusable bags, which, you know, have been shown to actually be not terribly the most sanitary um, for putting your food in contact with. Um, so 
But, you know, the interesting thing is, is the mis- misunderstanding of the plastic bag are actually a reuse of a waste product. You know, that, that polyethylene that's used for those plastic grocery bags is actually use of ethylene that, that is a waste product to um, the natural gas industry and something they try and strip out of uh, the natural gas refinement process. And if they can take that and make plastic bags with it, it's being put to a good use. If not, they tend to burn it off. Right. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're, you might be, you know, stopping this plastic waste stream to a certain extent, but you're creating another problem in, in that there's no secondary use of a byproduct of, um, natural gas, which we need for our fertilizer industry. You can't make fertilizer without natural gas. And there's a real, yeah, real issue there with, we don't fertilize it. We, you know, we're not feeding the world as the USA does. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's just, it, you, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> That's why I think it's interesting. The new slogan is if in doubt, throw it out. Yeah. Well, and that, been, you know, this issue of plastic bags causing problems with recycling machinery, that's just because people didn't understand you sh- they're not recyclable. They're really something you either have to reuse or throw away, mm-hmm. the plastic bags, because they, they are, you know, first of all, they're made from a waste product. Polyethylene doesn't, you know, you can't, like other some plastics, and that's why the numbering on the plastic is important, some plastics can be um, heated and then reformed. You know, melted down and you know, and reformed, reused. Um, in fact, we've got a manufacturer of like beer and beverage uh, six packs and whatever containers here in Lane County called PacTech that uses recycled plastic to make their their little six pack can holders. Um, and uh, but polyethylene's not one of the plastics you can do that with. And uh, it just really needs to either end up uh, in the in the trash or reused and in in the trash eventually. Personally, I always reused them. I, I had a stash, or I brought them back. And they and the the if they if there's enough of them together, there is some reuse available for them, and or at least some incineration that's a little bit more um, environmentally friendly for them. But you know, I use you know. You can't use a paper bag or a reusable cloth grocery bag to clean your cat box. <laughs> and ever since, they, ever since they banned those bags at Fred Meyer's, I now have to count on my local Bymark to supply me a bag now and then so I can clean my cat box a couple times a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. When I saw Salem was banning them, I'm like, uh, yeah, a little bit more social engineering there. You know, people people could always say, I don't want plastic. Why ban them? Because there's a lot of people that reuse them. I know people that, you know, not just cat boxes, there's folks that walk their dogs and want to be responsible and clean up after their dogs. You know, they get used that way. Um, You know, all sorts of reasons people use them. And, you know, particularly for folks maybe that are walking, taking the bus and having to walk a distance to their house from the grocery store. Paper bags don't work really well. And, you know, if we look out the window right now in the Pacific Northwest, um, they get kind of soggy. 
and might collapse and everything else. And those reusable bags aren't you know, exactly the best in the rain either. So, you know, plastic bags sometimes work best in the Pacific Northwest. You know, and I thought we all we want everybody to get out of their cars and walk and ride the bus. Yeah. I find that uh, as I was looking at it for news articles, I've, um, oh, okay, I guess this is in um, Colombia, where they're using recycled plastics, you know, just waste. And they're making um, houses for the homeless in a Lego-style fashion. Huh. Made out of uh, waste plastics. Giant Lego blocks? Yeah. It's all snapped together, and they say it's sturdy, easy to put together. Um, let's see. Skip this. Uh, Lego houses made from waste plastic house the homeless. Um, well, you know, they have a natural um, insulation value because they have the air, you know, the air pockets on the inside, and plastic does not transmit heat well. So, you know, it would be a lot warmer than a tent. And it'd be a lot more rainproof in a lot of ways. I, I, I might have to look into that. Yeah, um, they say it's. Uh, I'm trying to find the same article I had before. I'm getting inundated by pop-ups and register here for this article. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I know there's probably building code issues. It's probably not seismically sound for permanent housing, but you know, as a temporary solution, that that sounds like it might be a real viable solution. And once you move those people into permanent housing, you take the, the blocks apart, maybe store them or move them to a different location, get people set up in another little Lego block house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they say that it's easy to set up and be torn down, rebuilt anywhere. Yeah. Uh, Save them for, you know, I bet, I bet the folks down in Paradise, California would be happy inside of a Lego block house instead of a tent in the parking lot uh, of the, uh, yeah, that, that they have right now. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's raining now in that area. And what they're saying too that they they get a lot of their plastics from the landfills, and so again they're just making more use of, of something that would just be wasteful. Yeah. Well, there we go. We need we need to to get our recycled plastic. You know, instead of you know now that China's refusing to take our recycled plastic. We just need to kind of divert some of that and, and find somebody that will manufacture giant Lego blocks for us, and we'll, we'll build housing out of it. Yeah. They Sol- that, uh, solving the world's problems on the Bose Nose Show. Robin, there you go. it again. <laughs> they say that, because um, the question came back with, um, let's see the quote here, it doesn't mean that these bricks aren't fragile or breakable. In fact, these bricks are sturdy enough to withstand earthquakes and fire breakouts. Hmm. It, uh, let's see. From a company called Conceptos Plasticos. And, um, anyways, you can do, do just do a search on the internet for uh, Lego Light recy- recycled plastic bricks builds houses for homeless. Yes. Well, there you go, folks. Something that you probably didn't know or and or didn't care. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as we uh, start getting down to the uh, end of the, the program here, 
I, I, I want to try and just bring up a, a quick little ditty on national news a bit. And I kind of had to notice that the stock market went a little bit crazy today. It had a 600-point jump in the Dow Jones or something like that. And it was because the Fed chair, Jay Powell, mentioned that, that interest rates were going to kind of levelize and hold steady now uh, for the future. And his comments generated this huge um, rally on, on the stock market. But yes, you know, I read in the newspaper this morning that yesterday President Trump was bashing him for the the economy or something like that and his disconnect. Um, so it's kind of interesting that and it, he was doing it through his tweeting, his Twitter account, apparently, um, as well as bashing uh, the special counsel, the, the special counsel, uh, Robert Mueller. Um, over Twitter, but it was, it's kind of interesting. One day Trump's tweeting something the next day, the subject of his Twitter account makes an announcement and suddenly the stock market goes up 600 points. So because of a Trump tweet, we have a market rally. Hey, you're, you're, you're an educated person. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I claim to be sometimes I, I, I are an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yesterday I couldn't spell technician today. I are one. Um, explain to me how um, federal interest rates, this I always get kind of confused of if the economy is doing better, then we need to raise the interest rates to make things more expensive. So one of the things we have in this country is we have fiat money which don't get me started. We're not tied to a gold standard or anything else. So our money is basically what we believe it's worth. And our money supply is flexible. And and how much money is in circulation will um, add or subtract to what interest rates are and, and inflation rates. So as they drop the Federal Reserve rate, which is the, the overnight rates that they charge banks, which then are reflected in what the banks give savings accounts and what they charge you for in their loans, um, that generally makes more money available in, in, in the, uh, you know, the, the economy. So lower interest rates, lower cost money, more money becomes available, the econo- and that's supposed to stimulate the economy. That's why they actually did you know, this quantitative easing that was done under the Obama administration. They basically took the interest rate, the overnight interest rate, to banks to zero and um, made it really, you know, money really cheap, so to speak. Um, and, of course, as, as the, the, the uh, risk with that is as you put more money into the economy, it can actually devalue that money and create inflation where a dollar gets worth worth less because there's more of them. Um, So the risk around that is if there's actually a strong economy and you're pumping money into the, that it'll actually create inflation. So one of the things they do is they raise the rates up to slow the, not so much to slow the economy down, but slow the growth of money in the economy. And, And that, you know, that that's, you know, makes, you know, keeps the value of the dollar up. So, and suppresses inflation. So it's this, this converse thing between interest rates and inflation. And what the Fed was watching was um, as the economy heated up, 
that the inflation rate wasn't going to get out of control. So they were gradually raising interest rates, which I agree with. It was They were way too low. One of the things is when you're down to 0%, there's nowhere else to go to stimulate the economy. So that's kind of what's going on, that balance between inflation and economic stimulus. And um, I kind of don't disagree somewhat with what the Fed was doing, but it was really causing problems with the uh, stock market. And you could see that in just a small announcement causing a huge rally on Wall Street. So that's and there, and there's another episode of Ask the Commissioner. Yeah, 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 yeah. As, as my 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 very layman's understanding of uh, inflation, the economy, and money supply. <laughs> so thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. That's all we have time for today. Listen to us next week here at four o'clock live from beautiful Lane County. And give us a call next time, because I'd like to talk about what you want to talk about. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.